0: Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 2, Episode 35, the first part of 2 on the Dead Sea. Last week, I covered the history and geography of the Sea of Galilee. If you missed it, you really should go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm covering the geography of the Dead Sea, and we'll examine its history next week. So let's get started. The Dead Sea, like the Sea of Galilee is not nearly large enough to be considered anything but a lake. And unlike the vast majority of lakes, it's not fresh water, but is instead filled with brine. The sea straddles the border of Israel and Jordan. Its surface is about 1400 feet or 431 meters below sea level, and as such is the lowest land point on the planet. In 2016, its surface area was 234 square miles, or 605 square kilometers, and the date is important because, as I will discuss later, its level, and therefore surface area, is constantly changing. Recently, its total volume and surface has been shrinking. Also, it's over three times larger than the Sea of Galilee. In fact... If it were in the U.S., it would be the 27th largest lake in terms of surface area. But even with its size, in the U.S., it wouldn't be the largest brine lake, as the Great Salt Lake in Utah is about seven times larger in surface area. In Europe, the Dead Sea would be the 36th largest lake. It's just under 1,000 feet, or 304 meters deep, making it the deepest saltwater lake in the world. But to be clear, it's not even close to being the deepest lake in the world. That honorific goes to Lake Baikal in southern Siberia, Russia. It's 5,387 feet, or 1.6 kilometers, deep. Just over a mile deep. But the Dead Sea's measurements do give it tremendous volume at over 27 cubic miles, or 114 cubic kilometers. If it were in the U.S., it would have the 8th largest lake volume. As for the Dead Sea's salt level, in 2011, it was 34.2% salinity. To put it in perspective, it's 9.6 times saltier than the ocean, and therefore one of the world's saltiest bodies of water. It's this salinity that leads to the term dead, because in it, plants and animals cannot live, hence its name except for some notable variants, which I'll cover in a bit. As for its measurements, it's 31 miles or 50 kilometers long, and 9 miles or 15 kilometers wide at its widest point. Like the Sea of Galilee, it lies in the Jordan Rift Valley, and its main tributary is the Jordan River. The salinity has also led some to believe that it imparts many health benefits. Legend has it that it was one of the world's first health resorts, attracting even the infamous Herod the Great. In addition, many products are sourced from its depths and shores, including asphalt and potash for fertilizers. And, since saltwater is denser than freshwater, meaning it weighs more per unit of volume, it has one curious effect. And that is, even the most dense among us have no problem floating on its surface. In Hebrew, the Dead Sea is known as Yam Ha-Malah, which translates into English roughly as the Sea of Salt. The first mention of it in the Bible can be found in Genesis chapter 14 verse 3, where it was called the Salt Sea in the King James. Most other versions simply call it the Dead Sea in this passage. So far, it makes much sense. But, in Deuteronomy chapter 3 verse 17, it was called the Sea of Arabah, And in Joshua chapter 12 verse 3, it was called the Eastern Sea. In Arabic, the Dead Sea is called the Al-Bar al-Mayat, which translates directly to the Dead Sea. Less frequently, it was called the Sea of Lot. A no longer used historical name in Arabic was the Sea of Zor, after a nearby town covered a couple of episodes ago. The Greeks called it Lake Asphaltitis, or the Asphaltite Sea. Currently, the Jordan River is the only major water source flowing into the Dead Sea, although there are several small springs under and around the lake. These springs form pools and quicksand pits along the edges. And you thought quicksand was only on an island in the Pacific. Also, the lake has no outlets. And this is key. Whatever water flows in brings with it sediment and dissolved minerals, In the hot, arid climate, the water evaporates, but the sediments and minerals, especially the salt, remain behind, in ever-increasing amounts. It's the same thing that makes the ocean salty, just on a much smaller, and therefore more intense, scale. There are other rivers that flow in, but they are considerably smaller than the Jordan. First, there is the Mujib River. In Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Judges, it was known as the Arnon, as seen in these books, it was an important boundary line. In that time, it separated the Moabites from the Amorites. After the Jordan, it's one of the more significant water sources of the Dead Sea. Not that that means much. The wadai Hassa is another creek flowing into the Dead Sea. It's the biblical Zeret, mentioned in Deuteronomy and Numbers. It's also the place where the Israelites camped on their final approach to Moab. From the context in numbers, it's understood that it lay in Edom, south of the border to Moab. I probably should have mentioned it before, but a wadi is a valley, ravine, or channel that is dry, except immediately following a rainstorm. In English, we would usually call it a dry riverbed, and in some cases, especially if it crossed a road, we would refer to it as a wash. Speaking of rain... In the area, the annual rainfall amount is barely 4 inches, or 100 millimeters, per year in the northern part of the Dead Sea, and half that amount in the southern part. For comparison, New York City averages 46 inches, or 1.2 meters, per year. Even Phoenix, Arizona, situated in the dry Sonoran Desert, averages 8 inches, or 200 millimeters, a year. The Dead Sea's dryness is due to what is called the rain shadow effect of the Judean mountains. Essentially, the mountains block incoming warm, moist air from advancing to the desert. The warm air makes it there, but the moisture does not. In the northern hemisphere, it's a fairly common occurrence on the west coast of continents. There are two competing scientific hypotheses about the origin of the amazingly low elevation of the Dead Sea. The first hypothesis is that it is found in a true rift zone, or an extension of the Red Sea Rift, or perhaps even a longer extension of the Great Rift Valley of eastern Africa. A more recent hypothesis is that the Dead Sea Basin is a consequence of what is called the stepover discontinuity along the Dead Sea Transform, creating an extension of the Earth's crust with consequent subsidence. If you have a degree in geology, You probably understood that, but for us laymen, that's about as deep into that valley that I'll hike. And, what follows is what scientists have proposed, and the dates are theirs, not mine. Given that you have free will, even though some researchers will propose that you don't. But anyway, you can subscribe to these theories or not. I think, though, that it's important to understand the perspective of others. Sometime around 3.7 million years ago, in what is now the Jordan River Valley, the Dead Sea, and the northern White eye Arabah was frequently flooded by waters from the Mediterranean Sea. The waters would gather in a narrow curved bay called by geologists the Sodom Lagoon. This lagoon was connected to the sea through what is now the Jezreel Valley. The Mediterranean flooding the valley is theorized to have cycled with warmer than cooler climates. When the climate would warm, the sea level would rise and the valley would flood. Then the climate would cool and the flooding would cease. When the cooling came and the valley dried, the water would evaporate leaving behind the minerals formerly dissolved in the liquid. Over time, this deposited beds of salt in the lagoon that eventually became 1.6 miles, or 2.5 kilometers deep. Then, about 2 million years ago, the land between the Rift Valley and the Mediterranean Sea rose to a height that eliminated the flooding. When this happened, the lagoon became permanently landlocked from the sea. It is theorized that at this time, the lagoon stretched from the Sea of Galilee in the north to about 30 miles or 50 kilometers south of what is presently the south shore of the Dead Sea. After this, the lagoon shrunk and became what is known as Lake Amora, which was followed by Lake Lausanne and eventually the Dead Sea. Both the water and salt levels of these lakes would vary, principally caused by the tectonic sinking of the valley floor and the ever-recurrent climate variations, as the climate became more arid, Lake Lausanne eventually shrank and got saltier, finally leaving the Dead Sea as its remnant. Along the southwestern shore of the lake is a 700-foot or 210-meter tall halite formation called Mount Sodom. Halite is simply rock salt. Like that is used to melt ice on your sidewalk or to make ice cream. In the prehistoric era, and remember that prehistoric does not mean that there were cavemen with clubs and dinosaurs, but instead it's before written history. Anyway, in the prehistoric era, great amounts of sediment collected on the floor of Lake Amora. The sediment was denser than the salt deposits and are theorized to have extruded the salt deposits upwards, forming what is now the Lausanne Peninsula and also Mount Sodom. Geologists illustrate the concept with the thought picture of a bucket of mud where a large flat stone is placed on top. This then forces the mud to creep up the sides of the bucket. Essentially, when the bottom of the Dead Sea dropped due to tectonic forces, the salt mounts of Lassan and Mount Sodom stayed in place as high cliffs. The forces are similar to the formation of salt domes. I probably should have mentioned in the introduction way back in chapter 1, episode 1, that would also weave the geologic into the history of the Bible. Finally, remember when I talked about my take on science many, many episodes ago? Yeah, this is another moment when I think, so that's how he did it. Over the last several millennia, the lake's surface level has fluctuated about 1,300 feet or 400 meters, There are theories that propose these fluctuations are caused by volcanic activity or other seismic events. Like I mentioned before, the Dead Sea's climate is about as arid as any on the blue marble. It's also hot. In the summer, the temperature is between 90 and 102 Fahrenheit, which equates to between 32 and 39 Celsius. The average temperature in the winter is more tolerable, between 68 and 73 Fahrenheit, or between 20 and 23 celsius. Now this is something you probably didn't expect, but given its low elevation, the region has weaker ultraviolet radiation, especially UVB, less sunscreen if you dare, and also related to the elevation or lack thereof, there is higher atmospheric pressure, therefore the air has a slightly higher oxygen content compared to sea level. In 2011, the lake was measured with a salinity of 34.2%, making it one of the world's saltiest bodies of water. This is behind Lake Vanda in Antarctica at 35%, Lake Assal on the east coast of Africa at 34.8%, and the lagoon Garabogazköl in the Caspian Sea at just under 35%, and also a few smaller bodies of water in Antarctica. Until the past few decades, specifically the winter spanning 1978 and 1979, the Dead Sea was made up of two different layers of water that differed in temperature, density, age, and salinity. The topmost layer, down to a depth of about 115 feet, or 35 meters, had an average salinity of 34.2%, and a temperature that varied between 66 and 99 Fahrenheit, or 19 and 37 Celsius. Below that was a transitory zone, and even further down, the lake maintained a constant temperature of 72 Fahrenheit, or 22 Celsius, and was completely saturated with salt. So what does the complete saturation really mean? Any additional salt that made it into the water would precipitate out as crystals that fell to the bottom, some 1,000 feet or 300 meters down. But, keep in mind that the warmer a liquid is, the more dissolved solids, such as salt, it can hold. The same is true with the relationship between air temperature and humidity levels. And a note, I did mention the two layers had different ages. A little known fact, a drop of rain that falls into any large lake, not just the Dead Sea, can remain there for hundreds of years. In 1978, these layers began to mix together, probably as a result of the ever-decreasing water levels. But let's back up a decade or two. Starting in the 1960s, water flowing into the Dead Sea from the Jordan River was reduced due to extensive irrigation and a drought that naturally caused lower rainfall. As time progressed, the lake became more salty. Then, by 1975, the upper layer exceeded the saltiness of the lower layer. Yet, the two layers remain separated due to the higher temperature near the surface. As any aircraft pilot can tell you, higher temperatures lead to lower densities. But, in the winter that began in 1978, the upper layer cooled and its density increased to the point that equaled the lower layer, and the two layers of the previously segregated waters mixed. As far as researchers can deduce, that had not occurred in hundreds of years. Don't be too distraught, though. Since that winter, the stratification has begun anew. One interesting aspect of the Dead Sea is its accretion of asphalt. Well down in the depths, the lake spews forth small nuggets of dark tar. For those of you in North Carolina, while the asphalt did get a mention in the Old Testament, there was no mention of it clinging to the posterior portion of someone's foot. Outside of the Bible, asphalt-covered figurines and Neolithic bones from archaeological sites have been uncovered. Not to forget, the Egyptian mummification process relied on asphalt, thought to have been brought there from the Dead Sea. If you will remember back two episodes, when I covered the biblical city of Zor, and within that episode, when I described the Madab map... I mentioned how the map showed the Dead Sea with two fishing boats and fish swimming in the river and receding from the Dead Sea. As you probably have surmised, and as I mentioned in that episode, there are no fish in the Dead Sea, but there is life, albeit microscopic and fleeting. There are small quantities of bacteria and microbial fungi growing in its waters. This is especially true when the area floods. When this happens, the salt content of the lake can drop from its usual 34% to 30%, or even lower depending on the amount of precipitation. When this happens, the Dead Sea briefly springs to life. For example, in 1980, after an unusually wet winter, the normally Caspian Blue Dead Sea metamorphed into red. Of course, this was investigated, and researchers from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem discovered that the Dead Sea was abounding with a species of algae called Dun Alliella. The Dun Alliella fed red-pigmented halobacteria. It was these bacteria that caused the color change. But, in the 30-some-odd years since, the area has maintained its usual dryness, and the algae and the bacteria have not returned in measurable numbers. Perhaps they are lying dormant. Then, in 2011, a group of scientists from Israel and Germany discovered cracks in the seabed. These cracks allow fresh and brackish waters to enter the Dead Sea, essentially from a previously unknown source, a sort of deepwater spring. Since the salinity is lower in the area around the freshwater spring, they theorized that there could be life present. When the researchers tested the biofilms around the cracks, they discovered numerous species of bacteria and archaea. Archaea are single-celled microorganisms that have no cell nucleus or any other membrane-bound organelles within. Near the lake's shores, essentially in the cooler mountains that surround the basin, various animal species thrive. There are wild goats, rabbits, jackals, foxes, and leopards. There are also hundreds of species of birds. In fact, the land teems with so much life that both Jordan and Israel have established nature reserves in the immediate area. The region is also home to a species known as a hyrax. In my North American mindset, I had no idea what a hyrax was. So, of course, I ventured down that rabbit hole. They are small, stocky herbivores that resemble a large, somewhat cute, short-tailed rat. They are typically 12 to 28 inches, or 30 to 70 centimeters long, and weigh between 4 and 11 pounds, or 2 to 5 kilograms. A picture will be posted. Besides the Dead Sea Basin, they also live throughout the Middle East and Africa. And now for the part that both blew my mind and has left me completely confused. These small rodents are believed by many researchers to be the closest living relative of, wait for it, the elephant. I'll let that sink in for a moment, and while it does, I'll throw another plot twist your way and tell you that they are also considered closely related to manatees. I'm trying really, really hard to resist further commentary on these theories, and I'll let it go by saying that they are really interesting. To wrap it up, the area is a very barren desert now, but it hasn't always been so. The delta of the Jordan River, just before it flows into the Dead Sea, used to be a thicket of papyrus and palm trees. The first century Jewish-Roman historian Flavius Josephus described Jericho, located on the shore of the delta, as, quoting, "...the most fertile spot in Judea." quote. In fact, during the rule of the Romans and afterwards, it is believed that sugarcane, henna, and sycamore fig grew abundantly, and that the trade resulting from this led to great prosperity. But, by the 19th century, due to increasing desertification, Jericho's fertility had disappeared. And that is the geography of the Dead Sea. Join me next week when I'll cover the history of the Salty Lake. You don't want to miss it. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. You can also find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page. And if you're enjoying the podcast, and I really hope you are, be sure to subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released. Finally, go to iTunes and give the podcast a positive review. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.